Welcome to Mission Control, where we give you step-by-step instructions on how to take your e-commerce store to levels only a rocket can reach. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the e-commerce industry that is going to give you simple, actionable advice on how to attract new customers, retain them, and build a brand that you are proud of. This show is brought to you by the makers of Rocket Car, an e-commerce service and solutions company. All right, welcome to the next episode of Mission Control. I am your host, Alex Ivanoff, and today I have a really awesome guest, super excited to have you on. This is Garrett Gray from Digital Growth Labs. He's the founder and CEO, and super excited to, to have you on and, and talk data and, and talk about what you do and what Digital Growth Labs do, does. So feel free to introduce yourself and yeah, let's, let's hear it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Alex. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm with Digital Growth Labs. It's uh, kind of the latest progression in my kind of journey of where I started digital marketing 2018, 2017. And funny enough, love him or hate him, uh, Ty Lopez is how I kind of got into this space. It makes two of us. Uh, Yeah. So got his SMMA course. I think that was 2017. Went through that, kind of had aspirations of having my own digital agency. I saw the power of kind of like, okay, digital marketing is not going anywhere, going anywhere, which is kind of why Ty started that whole thing anyway. It was like, you know, this is not going away. Businesses will need this going forward. And, you know, you kind of can get in the ground floor. And he was right. Like, I mean, to his credit, he he was 100% right. Uh, my, as these things typically do, my path has kind of been a winding one. I initially thought I was going to go after gyms because uh, fitness is something I enjoy doing. And I, and I thought, you know, combining that with marketing and what I knew would be a fun thing to do. But I found out pretty quickly that gyms don't actually have like a dedicated ad budget. They just kind of sporadically will have like challenges and they'll live off the referrals and things like that for months. So it was hard to get uh, retainer, stuff like that. So I ended up cutting my teeth in B2B wholesale printing for a company I worked for throughout college. And the boss was a close friend and mentor of mine. And he, they had grown really well organically for about 20 years since he started the business. And he knew what I, you know, I had finished the tie course and gone through all that. And he said, you know, he agreed to let me start using those, those strategies and things inside the business. Cause at the time, they'd really relied on a lot of organic. There was real no marketing department, no marketing strategy to think of or to speak of. And that was kind of the beginning of that. And it's pretty cool. They're actually they're moving into a, a new 30,000 square foot um, kind of state of the state of the art building probably next month. Wow. And we keep in touch. Uh, I moved on from them about uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. But we keep in touch and it's pretty cool to see kind of we laid the foundation for the marketing back then 20, 2018, 2019. Well, really it's before that actually. And um, yeah, it's just really cool to see them continue to grow. And then I got into data, uh, got in with a company that was doing identity resolution. He, he saw the value of the data because he was a, a Google ads partner, like early, early on, he owned a, what they call a DSP a demand side platform. So basically he sat on Google's ad exchange 
and he began to have a build what they call an identity graph. Now, the largest in the world that would have an identity graph would be the Apples, the Facebooks, the Googles of the world. But he is part of the largest. He owns the pro largest privately owned database identity graph in the U.S. And I think the last last I heard, I think it's tracking around. It's just short of 300 million. It's right around 300 million U.S. consumers. And the identity graph is is something that we use to help enrich data and determine, you know, when someone visits a website, hey, that's Alex, that's Garrett, Susie, Catherine, so on and so forth, because we, we've collected that data. He started building that identity graph, it's probably close to 15 years ago now. So a lot of data. And because he sat on the, the Google ad exchange for so long, he's basically got like synced up with their data so he can verify off of Google IDs and Facebook IDs and all sorts of things um, in the identity graph. And I'm sure we can get into that a little later on, but that's what we're doing now. We're using the, the identity graph. We're using a, a CDP, a customer data platform. And what we're doing is we're piping the data that's needed into Facebook and other ad platforms. And it's essentially it's, it's helping and fixing the issues brought on by iOS 14.5 last April and we're seeing some really great results with it. And I think that's what I do. I spend a lot of my time now when I speak with folks is just kind of educating them on the value of their first party data and where everything's going. You know, if you, if you run ads online, you're probably familiar. If you're not, your media buyer is certainly familiar with the fact that third party cookies will be going away. Now, Google keeps kicking the can down the road on that, but eventually third-party cookies will be no more. And we're just, we're educating and we're equipping clients with the ability to kind of unlock and store and then leverage their first-party data. Like if, the, if that, that's basically the elevator pitch. We're using that first-party data to uh, improve the data that's fed back into ad platforms, which eventually results in, better ad ROI, better conversions, better conversion metrics, uh, lower cost per acquisition, cost per order, whatever, whatever metrics are important to you, they will be improved by using the systems and the, and the processes we have in place. It's awesome, man. So, so for the people that like have never really heard this and when I met you, I, I did not know of any of this stuff, right? I knew that there was, you know, a lot of like data collection mechanisms and, and sources all around the country and so many different companies, of course. Um, and I'm sure everyone's aware of it, but using this is so, so let me ask, like, th this is an identity graph of almost 300 million people. And it's built, like you said, over 15 years of data based on all these different sources. Um, is this data now, is this data anonymized or is it, you know, cause I know like if you have a, audience on Facebook, or if you have an audience on your Shopify store, for example, it, it gives you anonymized data, doesn't tell you exactly everything. Um, how, do, how, do, how do you, how are you able to view that data? Yeah, so in the in the early days, uh, this was something we had to be careful of, because uh, laws governing B2B versus B2C were, were different, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. you're in a B2B uh, environment, it's business to business. So there's it's less strenuous. But if you're in consumers, you have to be careful about, you know, you can't send a SMS blast to 2000 people because you 
he got their contact information from the graph, right? We, we had to make that very clear to clients. Um, and we were, it, early on, we were in the B2B space a lot. And I, I transitioned to B2C just because uh, we spoke about this before in other conversations. E-commerce marketing folks get the value of what we're doing a little bit more than B2B. You know, I, I was always kind of surprised to have these conversations with B2B. They've had a hard time kind of transitioning into this new world. B2B is a little bit more stuck in their ways. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're in D2C and e-com, you have to be constantly on the cutting edge of what's going on, or you're going to see, you know, you're going to see your profits go down. Your, your ads, your ad stuff is not going to, you just complete, you have to be testing constantly on that sort of thing. So <laughs> I, I got off on a, a tangent, but okay. So your initial question was what? The, the anonymous aspect of the data. So if I'm just yes. a user of the technology, okay. And I'm using it for right. use cases, but like, can I actually see the? Well, that's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thing about where we're at now, right? So we, there are no, <laughs> like five six years ago when we were doing this, we would we could basically, uh, what a use case might look like is okay. We would give a B two B websites. We, we would have a B two B company, and we'd hand them their website visitors, mm. right? Then we'd send it to them in like a, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or something. So it's say, Alex, I have an off in your email and then your position, your LinkedIn URL, things like that. Right. And as technology's gotten better and these different technologies and tools can communicate with each other better. Now it's, it's, it's really cool because, you know, we're compliant where we need to be uh, as far as uh, security and things like that with the data. And the great thing is, the tools we're using are just they're they're keeping clients safe from getting in any kind of legal issues because it is a de-anonymized, but we're using we're using language that all the ad platforms know. So, like for instance, part of the identity graph is like a SHA two fifty six code is uh, used to identify when you show up to any ad platform. So, any of those ad platforms know. SHA-256, with a bunch of letters and st string of numbers together randomly, we know that's Alex, yeah. right? So, but if you're looking at that, you can't tell that. Sure. Uh, and then another thing, too, is first-party data, as long as you have security policies in place on your website. So, I mean, I'm sure everyone has seen this at some point and where you have a cookie policy. As long as people are understanding of like, okay, we're collecting information if you visit our website. And we're not going to resell it or anything, but we are using it for our own kind of edification for a business. Like whether we want to um, have you on, you know, we're storing your email so we can reach out to you later. Because, you know, like Adidas does a really good job of doing this. Um, I recently was on their website, was looking at a pair of shoes, did, did decided not to get them. And then I think like 24 hours later, I got an email from them saying, you know, uh, don't forget about whatever it was I was looking at, yeah. right? So that that would be a use case of 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 using that technology where, you know, as long as you say, yeah, it's cool, I know about your cookie policy, no problem, then they're free to use that information because it's it's first party. So first party, second party, third party, all that stuff kind of gets convoluted. But the the easiest way to re to think about this is 
what we consider first party is basically, you know, if someone's opted into your newsletter, your email, of course, that, you know, people are pretty familiar with that. We also consider people that visit your website first party data. And like I said, with a cookie policy in place, you're covered. It's all good. And then it's just a matter of like, okay, we we now have like this database we're collecting of all the people that have visited our website and they've they've done certain actions on the website. They've added a cart, but they didn't purchase or things like this that we're able to collect and store. And then we can segment them out however we need to and then send them out to ad platforms to target top, middle and bottom of funnel sure. based on their activity. Yeah. yeah. And okay. So we're getting into a couple different use cases here where, I mean, the first one, like we said, ad targeting is going to get a little bit more specific uh, based on the data that you're feeding Facebook, Google, whatever ad platform. Um, but, you know, using emails as well is like you gave an example with Adidas. I think that's a really interesting example. So, so breaking it down. So you were already subscribed to Adidas's email. You go to their website, you opt into their cookie policy. You start looking at a product. Maybe you add to cart. You don't check out. Adidas is using this technology or some sort of technology, whatever it is, uh, that's very similar. Right. Some identity graph. And they are segmenting out your web presence on their on their website in, and knowing and matching right. it up with your identity on the identity graph. And they're able to email you, mm -hmm. even though, uh, of course, you're already subscribed. They can email you specifically without needing a separate campaign based on your action on the website. That's super powerful. Is that all correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you said it pretty much exactly. And, and I'll give you another use case because I looked over on my desk and I saw a flyer um, for this company right here. And I'm hoping I can get them. Hopefully somebody from this company will see. Let's see. What is it? Can you read that? Erga I don't know how you say that word. It's E-R-G-A-T-T-A. -T -T -A. Okay. Ergata. And because it's, it's yeah, so they're a, a rowing company. Okay. So post-COVID, you had all these uh, home fitness things cropped up, man. Like just all kinds of things because people couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't get out lockdowns and things like that. So a lot of these companies got fair amount of venture capital funding, but what's cool about those guys are, and like I said, I, I'd love to, to speak with somebody uh, over there because they, they're are they're already doing some things that I think are very cool uh, with their retargeting. Cause I visited their website because I was doing kind of, I was doing research on them to kind of understand like, okay, what kind of traffic do they get? And then another thing I like to do is if I visit their website and I get retargeted by an ad of theirs, especially on Facebook, I can screenshot that and be like, Hey, I know you're running Facebook ads. I can help you kind of thing. Right. That, that, that's, that was kind of the, the impetus of me kind of, I was doing research on people I could reach out to about our services. And I think about a week later, I got that in the mail. I didn't, I'm not on their newsletter or anything. So they're using a, and direct so mail the point of all more the, relaxed. Like you don't have to be opted into a mail list. Yeah. So the point of this whole thing is like, people don't really like, I think if people aren't familiar with this space, they're, they feel a little bit kind of uh big brother icky about yeah. it. Right. And I understand that completely. Yeah. And I feel like I'm a little desensitized because I've been in this space for so long and, and, and learned from, the guy that built the identity graph and I understood where this technology was going way before people even in marketing knew mm -hmm. what was going on. But people should just know that for better or for worse, this is the world we live in. And like, 
if you're not leveraging this technology in some way, you are you're kind of fighting with one arm behind your yeah, back, basically. Yeah, with the times, yeah. Especially as a brand, yeah. right? As a consumer, you can you can you have a little bit more choice, and I think the world's um, evolving a little bit ethically, lawfully, so- socially, like in terms of how we challenge the the standards here, which is I think a, a somewhat of a good thing, but. And you're able to take that and make that choice in terms of, you know, what data you give away or what platforms you sign up to or whatever as a consumer. But as a brand, it's super important that you just get with the times. Like you, you have to be educated on this stuff. And that's why I'm super happy to have you on today. But um, yeah, so that's that's a very interesting use case where, uh, you know, direct mail, like literally like I throw out my direct mail every three days. I get my mailbox. There's four magazines, three yeah. handouts from premium brands two letters from the bank trying to get me signed up for a credit card, right? There's a million things in there. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm always just tossing it because it's just, I feel like, a waste of time and paper. Uh, but if I see something in there, it's like, wait, I just checked this brand out. How do they, you know what I mean? Right. I, I yeah. might not even be thinking, how do they know? I might just think it's a coincidence. Um, now I'm going to, like, look at it. And if it's a good offer, right, I'm now I'm super interested. So uh, super. Yeah, well, and I think, too, it speaks to, uh, you go back to, I don't think, I mean, you're always going to have that small pocket of people that just, they're miserable. They don't want to be happy, whatever. They're going to find something to complain about. But I would say by and large consumers, if it's something they're interested in and they've researched, they don't mind you showing them an ad for it or educating them more about your product or your service or sending them a, a mailer out because they've shown interest in it. And people like, we live in such a distracted age that people attention really is the currency, right? Mm-hmm. So you're people are five seconds away from clicking from your product to go back to YouTube or go back to Facebook and watch cat videos. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the world we live in. So as a, a marketer and in an e-commerce and, and, and just brands in general that rely on online, which is pretty much everyone now. You have to have these tools kind of in your your toolbox to be able to re-engage people and say, hey, hey, remember us? You showed some interest in us, but, you know, we know you get busy or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, I did want to I would did want to look more into that uh, that exercise equipment or that 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 hat or that purse or whatever it is that you were looking at. Right. Yep. And so we talk about getting an insight on, you know, this person visited this page, this person's this far in, in my you know conversion funnel, what have you. What other insights might a brand take away from this identity graph and this data? Like I'm sure there's, you know, if you have 300 million users, there's definitely, I'm sure hundreds of different data points that are insightful for your site, insightful for your brand. Yeah, so I think we're at a point where, and, and this is going to depend on, so B2B, I'll go back there for just a second. B2B is a little bit of a different animal, especially if you're if you're if you're on a if you're using a B2B company, a lot of times will rely heavily on SDRs and, and BDRs. And if people don't aren't familiar with that acronym, it's just sales development reps, business development reps. Okay. And what the value of knowing that, hey, someone was on your website looking at the specific service or product of yours, and they're the Let's say you your your ideal client is a, a CFO, like maybe you sell accounting a, an accounting SaaS or something, right? 
well, that's a very powerful data point when they know, hey, Alex, the CFO of XYZ Corp was on our website and they were looking at our accounting software. Like that's a very powerful thing for a, you to have a salesperson reach out to them because you're going to have their LinkedIn URL and things like that. So that's a perfect use case of B2B where you can't exactly do that in B2C. But what you can do in B2C is, like you said, when you use the graph and you're using the customer data platform that we use, you're you're collecting, you're basically putting everyone into a big database. Okay, this everybody came to our website. We're storing them in the platform. Okay, now we want to know, okay, what they do on the website. Did they go look at this collection? Let's say you're a garment company, you're an e-commerce and you sell clothing. Okay. And let's say it's, you know, women's clothing and you have a, a specific collection of dresses. Okay. It's named something, right? Well, wouldn't it be pretty powerful to know, okay, over the last 60, 90 days, these are all the people that visited those collections, mm -hmm. right? And then you know exactly how to structure your ads, you know what they were looking at, you know, and you can even get even more granular, like, okay, give me all the people that looked at the collection, added a cart, but didn't purchase. Like you've got all these kind of different ways where once you're collecting the data, you can kind of say, okay, what's important for us right now? Like what's, if it's seasonality or anything like that in e-commerce, you just kind of, it just gives you more freedom to, retarget people the way you need to without really the way to think about it like this is up until now we've been if you're a marketer you're kind of renting your data from ad platforms you're renting it from google you're renting it from facebook right well the ios 14.5 update happens and facebook advertisers are kind of like you know the tide went out and you <laughs> And then everybody was swimming naked, you know, yeah. that old, that, that kind of old saying, right. And it was like, oh crap, what are we, what are we going to do? And I have these conversations on a, on a weekly basis with people that are like, yeah, we're, uh, we're a year and a half removed from the, the iOS thing. And we're still struggling getting our conversions back to where they were pre iOS. And what people got to understand is like, when you rely heavily on these platforms, which is what they want then you, you're kind of at the mercy of the whims of what they decide. Like Google changes a, you know, people in SEO know this with Google all too well. Like they change one thing about the algorithm and then all of a sudden your thing's not ranking anymore, right? You did all this work for SEO. Same thing happens with these ad platforms. And Apple kind of, they were, the way I describe it to people is there's a data war going on kind of and I, I say that word. I don't. I, I always I always question whether or not to use that word because it's just political climate. I agree. It's, like, ah, it I, use that? I mean, when you have it's, when you have trillion dollar companies going at each other, right? It's yeah, a pretty expensive. But word. I mean, I really don't. I don't. I don't know of a better analogy than that's what's going on. And, and Apple's iOS fourteen point five was kind of the first shot across the bow. In like, okay, Apple's like basically boxing Facebook out. They're like. We don't want you having our users' data. And what's funny about iOS, the iOS update, shortly after that, Apple, prob people probably noticed, they went heavy in the security and like, we're protecting you yeah. and that sort of thing. And it's like, 
if you're if you're me, you can see through that. Yeah. You're like, Most no, 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 no. <laughs> you want you want the user data for yourself. Yeah. You don't want to share it with Facebook. You don't want to share it with Google. Now, Google was in a better position after iOS 14.5 because just because of the sheer amount of data they have because they're Google. Mm -hmm. But Facebook was kind of boxed out because like I think it was like 98% of iOS users elected to not be tracked across their apps. Yep. Okay. Well, you what happens to an, a machine learning algorithm when you take away 98% of the data it was receiving? Yep. Ask a Facebook advertiser. Yeah. They know, yeah. right? So that's what we're doing and we're 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 seeing conversion metrics improve because we're fixing that underlying issue of data and uh yeah i don't even i'm trying to remember what the initial <laughs> we, were, we were talking about use cases well overall insights and, like what other what other data points can you pull like aside from just like all right let's let's right. use it as a use case for advertising you know at certain points in the funnel or just overall awareness and direct yep. mail email whatever it is but like what other data points can we pull in terms of insights what can we learn well i would say um I gave the the uh, the instance in B two B, and I would say that's probably the most powerful use case I've seen, is because now you can reach out to that person and you know like that's the CFO, that's the CEO, whatever. But in ecom, I think the individual data points are less relevant, like because what happens is, at least where our focus is right now is we want to work with folks that they rely heavily on paid acquisition yeah. in some form or fashion. It's even better if they allocate, you know, 15 K plus per month on Facebook. That means they haven't given up on the platform. They haven't moved on to the next shiny object. They, they still think they still know that their users or their, their ideal clients are on Facebook. They're just having a hard time getting uh, the conversions back to where they were iOS 14.5. And really what we're doing, it's less about like, Oh, it, I mean, it's cool to talk about like, okay, well, we have all these data points. Like we know that this is, you know, this is Alex and we've got three emails on him and here's his physical mailing address and all this kind of stuff. And they, they, they have their place, but I would say our main focus right now is just like, just give the data back to the ad platforms and let them do their thing sure. like that. They're the best at finding your, your audience you just got to help them out, yeah. especially, especially Facebook. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're, 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 we're stopping the bleeding of the data, plugging those holes. And then we're filling the pipes back up that are going back to Facebook and saying, okay, here are the users that are on our website, our landing pages, and they're doing these actions. And we want to build lookalike audiences off these people. And we want to fix event match quality scores, which is basically just a metric on, where Facebook says, hey, this is the the quality of the data that we're receiving from your Shopify store, your WooCommerce store, whatever. Uh, and the quality of the data kind of can be all over the place. And I think people don't understand. They think that like the conversion API aspect of, you know, that direct conversion API from Shopify to Facebook, for example, is just going to fix all their woes. And it's, and it doesn't, it, it's, it's better than it was 
you know, right after iOS, but it didn't fix the problem fully. And that's kind of where we come Why in. Why doesn't it? Well, one thing is they don't have, with Facebook specifically, they do not have the ability to identify a, I think it's an FPB, which is a, is a, it's a unique identifier that basically is a Facebook ID. So basically I, we can pass back those Facebook IDs directly to Facebook of all your website users and say, and then Facebook goes, oh, we knew who that is. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the Shopify conversion API doesn't have that ability. Yeah. They don't, they, there's not the capabilities not there in WooCommerce across the board. So that, that would be one so it's just specific matching, example like, of how contact info, like an email address or something. Right. And, and one thing that I'd say, uh, we get confused with attribution tools all the time. Yeah. I have to explain to people, you know, I'm not, you know, I, Hyros and Triple Whale, Northbeam, all those guys, they have their place. They're valuable and kind of, but think about it like this. They're an attribution tool. We're an audience tool, mm-hmm. an audience solution. Okay. Two different things. It's, is it valuable to know from an attribution tool? Like, okay, our ad dollars are, uh, our ad dollars are most profitable on this ad channel. Of course, you know, it, it, you're, you're allocating your ad budget is something you always have to kind of be tracking and testing and refining to know where you're going to get the most ROI from your ad efforts. Correct. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, and I would never, I would never tell anyone otherwise, but they don't have the ability to kind of engineer and activate audiences inside of ad platforms. They just don't, that's not, that's not the problem they're trying to solve. Now, some of them will get, they'll get slick with their wording and they'll make you think they can do that, but they're not doing the same thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, there's a lot to talk about here because you also touched on the <laughs> the the Apple stuff and, and Facebook and it's a very interesting conversation and, and maybe we'll get into it in a little bit in terms of where we're going but uh, one thing I want to ask is is this so does this identity graph require a certain level of traffic like can because this is this applicable for larger brands or and smaller brands yeah absolutely so in terms of the identity graph the best way to describe it to people is, so you're mentioning small to large brands, right? It's really irrelevant. It's going to depend on your use case. Are you B2B? Are you B2C? But really the identity graph is, think about it like a a spreadsheet in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And you've got your first column is going to be first name, last name. And then out those subsequent columns are going to have, you know, these are the amount of emails we have on this person. Uh, We may have their email, their phone number. We may have their cell number. Uh, LinkedIn URL, uh, position title, Facebook ID, Google ID, all these sorts of things that are stored on that that graph or that you know spreadsheet in the cloud. And the the way you think about it like this is, Alex, you hit my website. We call out to the graph and we say, hey, do we know who this person is? Mm-hmm. Based on whatever we can gather, like your IP address or uh, – your positioning, like we're, we're tracking. So one of the things I've been doing for the last year or so is there's a, another thing, another parameter is called a maid, 
So it's a mobile ID, mm -hmm. basically. So they know they have specific maids that are attributed to different people. And something to understand about the identity graph, it's not a perfect tool. Like you can imagine how difficult it is to track and like, cause I think it's tracking across like 5 billion URLs. So it, 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 it's a, it's quite an elaborate thing. So it's, it's not a perfect science, but what we can do is typically get enough information on whoever that you, that website visitor was to feed it back into a, a, a Facebook or a Google and let them finish out the puzzle. So like I, I what I like to do is kind of position it like this. Let's say in order to figure out that this is Alex that visited the website, you need A to E, okay? And we're able to give Facebook A, B, C, and E, okay? Sure. We pass those data points, and then Facebook goes, oh, we got D. And then they completed the string. We know who that is, and now we can show ads to that person. So that's kind of the way to think about, like, the identity graph's not perfect, but it usually can collect and send enough data to these ad platforms where they can do the rest and figure out who these people are. So why isn't Facebook and the platforms like, I know Google has this, this identity graph, like why aren't they offering this? I mean, everyone's been wondering for about a year and a half now, like, hey, what solutions is, are you guys going to come up with here to help us out? Because like our money being spent on your platform is no, not as good as it used to be. And I know that they've been quickly like, you know, revolutionizing their, their platform and, and, changing the different campaign types. And, you know, like you said, they meant they made a switch to um, conversions and API, but like, why aren't they offering something like this? Well, it's a great question, man. I, I, and honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, I think in Facebook's case, I think it might just be a situation where, I don't know, maybe they're, they're too focused on the metaverse or whatever. Like it's not a priority for them and they know that people are going to continue to spend ad dollars on their platform, whether or not they yeah. truly fix this issue or not. And I think it's one of those things where it's also the beauties of a free market system is you have companies like ourselves that go out and say, okay, here's a problem and we can use these tools that we have at our disposal to fix a problem that's regularly occurring for people across, you know, whatever sector or niche that you're dealing with. Right. So, and as far as Google, Google is less affected by iOS just because of the, the volume of data that they have. Um, so Google has, was less reliant on the fact of like, because everybody I've talked to that run, and that's another thing too, a lot of people have kind of opted into, okay, well, we're just going to take our ad dollars and spend it on YouTube or Google, mm -hmm. right? And we've actually had, I've had conversations with people that are, back to your question about like, you know, why are they not building a solution? I don't know, but I do know what they're telling people is, we, we haven't had conversations with Facebook, like platinum ad partners, and they've got like a dedicated, you know, meta rep or whatever, and they're like, yeah, go out and find third-party data uh, mm -hmm. providers because, you know, that's going to be your best bet to, to fix your conversion issues on the platform for the for the foreseeable future. So, you know, I, I don't really know, 
to be honest. It's kind of a, it is, a, it's a little bit mind boggling because it's like, okay, well, if you fix this for people, then conventional wisdom would think, okay, more people are going to spend, because I, I forget the number, but they, the, they uh, when Facebook announced one of their earnings, it may have been the first earnings after iOS or like, like two after that. Loss from iOS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because their ad spend was way down, mm-hmm. and I mean it was understandable, right? So it's a great question that I don't really know the answer to. Yeah, I, I think you'd have to you'd have to be friends with with Zuckerberg to know. <laughs> yeah, it's very. And you mentioned like they might be just focused on hardware, which takes us back to the conversation. Like Apple is. It seems like. Facebook had the the social aspect and the data collection, and, uh, but didn't have the hardware, and they're working on the hardware. Well, Apple had the hardware, but not the social aspect and the data collection uh, for the ads. Right. right, they didn't have the ad platform. So now they're. It yeah. seems like, like you said, they're telling us, "Oh, this is a privacy and data thing and a and a user first thing," while at the same time they're ramping up their ad platform. Um, exactly. So it's yep. like you know, watch what they do, not what they say, but. I love Apple at the end of the day. It's a great company, but yeah, I think they're both, they're both trying to, um, it's just a, it's just the nature of the beast. Like these are two trillion dollar companies that are trying to just without They're jockeying for position yeah, without, without breaking any trust laws, just trying to push each other out of business, which is Mm -hmm. fair enough. Um, one other thing. So you mentioned also owning your data versus renting it. Um, Mm-hmm. So the, this is obviously super important. Like when you use an identity graph, you're owning it. You're not, this is all yours. Like it doesn't belong to anybody else. Is that correct? Right. Well, and and, and I think it's, it's key to, to kind of distinguish this identity graph is kind of the, it is a, it is a force multiplier to what we do, but the real tool that we're using the customer data platform, that's where the, that's where the, I think most people should focus their attention going forward because whether or not you can access an identity graph or not, the CDP will, it's going to make your life a lot easier, especially if you're, if you're, if you're relying on, on digital acquisition via paid ads. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so it's, I think it's important to think about like the identity graph and the CDP are kind of, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they're, they're good together, but some people might just like a jelly sandwich mm-hmm. or they might just like a peanut butter sandwich. Right. So um, the CDP is really the, that's the database tool we're using. So the CDP is storing that data. So think about it like this. Someone visit the website. We store that everything we have on that person inside of the CDP. And then, like I said earlier, once you've collected that data and let's say you want to get granular about, okay, we, we have this full pool of people that we have gathered, but we want to do, you know, all the people that added to cart in the last 30 days so we can build a lookalike audience off that. Okay, fine. That's a perfect use case. Now, where the identity graph comes in is it's enriching the data. So the CDP is communicating back and forth with the identity graph and saying, okay, these are the parameters that we gathered on this website visitor. What else can you tell us about this person so we can fill in those holes? 
So the idea is we're building these kind of 360 customer profiles inside the CDP. And we're using all of the data inside the customer or the identity graph to enrich that data. Mm -hmm. So the CDP on itself may, may go, okay, this is user XYZ, but we don't know who their we don't know their name. We only have their IP address and one other parameter. So, and then you send it off to the identity graph and the identity graph goes, oh, we got you. Yeah. This is this person's name. This is their Facebook ID. This is their Google ID. So it's it's a it's a it's a working in tandem sure. kind of thing. Okay, interesting. And uh, you also talked about you, you alluded this to this earlier with uh, Google kicking the can down the road. It seems like every six months we're getting a headline. Oh, Chrome is eventually going to disable third party cookies. Uh, and I think we've been hearing this since like I don't know twenty nineteen or something, maybe even earlier. Seems like it's been a while, yeah. Um, and I just saw recently, I think it was in September, they announced it was going to be 2024. Eventually, regardless, it's going to happen. Um, so what? Yeah. What? It, so basically, Google Chrome, uh, which is the largest browser by user base in the world, I think by far, uh, mm -hmm. is going to be getting rid of third-party cookies, which, you know, for everyone that we were just talking about, like you go to a website, kind of like the GDPR banner at the bottom, it's like opt-in to third-party cookies, you're already naturally going to have some cookies. You're also going to have, um, you know, data stored on your. So, like when you log into a website, right, or when you go to a website, you're already automatically logged in. Yep. These are all different types of of ways that your browser right. stores information. What is it that is actually going away, and how is it going to change, and why is it that Digital Growth Labs is not affected? Well, we're not affected because what we're doing is we're essentially giving ownership and control to clients of their own data. Mm -hmm. All right. So whereas third party cookies are relying on third party of uh, just indifferent, like that's a kind of a, it's almost like a nebulous term at this point. Like there's a lot of what exactly falls underneath that. But what I can tell you is your first party data is yours and there's nothing that Apple can do about it. Right. So basically what I'm I'm trying to educate and I'm educating people with on on this fact, whether or not they do business with us. It's like, OK, moving forward, if you're not leveraging your first party data, you are going to be at a great disadvantage. Right. So that that's the first thing I try to get people to understand if I have a you know, if we're having like an introductory call or someone reaches out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, and I'm just like, hey, I'm happy to kind of show you what we're doing, but whether or not we do business together, this is the future. This is what you need to be thinking about because if you're not, you don't have ownership and control of your data, then you are at the whims of Apple, mm -hmm. Google, Facebook, whoever, mm -hmm. right? So the idea is once you take ownership and control of your data and you learn how to leverage it, then now you're kind of, you can be platform agnostic. So this goes back to the, the attribution tools. Okay. I'm, I would never tell anybody, you know, stop using Hyros, especially if they see value in it, but it's like, okay, now that you've started to harness and, and use the power of your first party data. Okay. Now you can say, okay, Hyros will tell you, well, this is where we're making the most money on this sure. ad platform. Yep. So you're, you have the ability to be platform agnostic and, 
and deploy your audiences wherever you want. Whereas before, Facebook wouldn't let you communicate your data. You couldn't send an audience from Facebook into Google, into YouTube, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, well, now you're like, that's fine. I have my own audiences inside of the CDP, enriched by the identity graph, and we can send it out to whatever app platforms we feel like because we know where we get the most, we get the most positive ROI. And so that's not reliant on Chrome allowing cookie storage and cookie tracking at all. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. Nice. Interesting. So what is this classified as then? Like is in terms of, um, so I guess my question is, right. If I, I have a site online and you go to my site, you're going through a browser. If that browser, can, can that browser completely cut off what I track from you? I don't. Okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a Shopify store mm-hmm. and you came to that store via Chrome. Okay, well, I don't. Google doesn't have their, jur- their jurisdiction ends when you land on someone's URL. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they just helped you find the URL. Once you click on the URL, you're now inside of a Shopify ecosystem, not a Google ecosystem. Gotcha. Right? So it's, it would, I mean, Third-party cookies, whether they be like Chrome extensions and things like that, yeah, sure, that that could those are going to take a hit. Yeah. But your website visitors, I mean, I haven't heard. I mean, there's always you never want to speculate on where we could be ten years from now. Mm-hmm. But I haven't heard of a situation in the foreseeable future where your 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 website visitors isn't your data to use as long as you are in the confines of whatever the the laws are yeah that makes sense right yep yeah think about it like this it's kind of like your website in a way is almost like your property so like if you had your your house is sitting on a lot and you have your privacy fence up right it's kind of like okay people were surfing the web and they went into google and they put in you know whatever the search was and they ended up on your website well it's like they they walked into your backyard yeah. or, or something Google's like that, like right? It's like, now they're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So I think we've learned a lot here in terms of the future. Cause there's always, like you said, there's going to be a lot of changes. There, there's already been a lot of changes in the past. I don't know, five to seven years. Where do you, like, do you have an opinion or a thesis on what the vision is on not only just for, I guess one for digital growth labs, but two, like where the the data and marketing ecosystem goes. Well, I'd say at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I I really think it just comes down to educating people on the importance of understanding the power of your first party data and what is possible once you start to collect it and you can splice it up however you want to send. Because we talk a lot about ad platforms, but we you can use the CDP to do a lot of things. Like you can you can integrate it directly with like Clavio. So let's say you wanted to retarget people via your email list based on an action they did on the website that is stored inside the CDP. We can do that as well. So it's just a matter of like taking ownership and control of your data 
Like, I think that's the simplest way to say, Mm -hmm. like for, for the last, really since digital marketing's inception, marketers have relied on ad platforms to do their targeting. They've rented their data from them, all that sort of things. And as these, as technology progresses and advances, you, you have these ebbs and flows, but I'd say we're at a point now where we're at a crossroads where the, the marketers that start to store and leverage their first party data will be the ones that decide to do that sooner, the better. I like to tell people the ones that do that today will be the winners tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's going to be one of those things where once again, you, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're fighting with one arm behind your back, whatever analogy you want to use. If you're not storing and leveraging your first party data, you're yeah. But what's the vision for digital growth labs? Like, do you, do you eventually want to work with a lot of bigger brands? Do you want to continuously innovate on the technology? Well, I'd say for me, my data partners, we, we have trainings and, and, and things like that, where we, we stay abreast on kind of where, what's the latest with the identity graph? What's the latest with the CDP? What, what are the best practices that we're seeing across the platform with like how people are leveraging the data and different ad platforms and what's working best. Right. So we're always going to try to stay on the cutting edge of that. But as, as far as like the company itself, I, I, my vision has always been to just uh, educate people on the, the power of, you know, what we're doing, whether or not they decide to do business with us or not, that's fine. I just, I like to at least get the word out there because it's what I would like it's what I'd like for someone to do for me. And, and as far as like, we could work with anyone in e-com, but I do think that the, we provide the most value to people that are spending at least 15 K a month on Facebook and Google will become, it's hard to say where we're going to go with Google's ad network. Now I know what we're doing does help match rates and things like that across YouTube and display and all that kind of stuff inside the Google ads network. So there is value there. But like I said, at the kind of the the top of the call, Facebook's seen the most value from what we're doing just because of how uh, hard it was hit post iOS. So to answer your question, as long as people have a decent amount of traffic and they're allocating that, that amount of money, to Facebook, we can help mm-hmm. like in it. And I'm not going to, I would, I guess I'd say on a personal level, like I showed you that flyer earlier, I'd love to work with, you know, fitness brands just because it's, I, I it's a passion of mine. I think it'd be really cool to work with, uh, what's, I'm trying to remember the one that I, LeBron's got a commercial with one of these brands where it's, uh, the mirror that's like on the wall. I think it's just called mirror. Have you seen this? Or is, it- is it okay? Yeah, yeah. There is one. There is one called Mirror, but I thought there was. So it starts with a T. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'm blanking. I'm blanking. But anyway, there's a lot of those that cropped up because of COVID. Yeah, for sure. There's got VC so funding, and like, yeah, there's you got rowers. You've got yeah. the ones that go up to the wall with the mirror, where they've got resistance built in, where that's really cool. And then what else? I've seen ones that are really cool with uh, with boxing. Oh, really? You know, boxing at home, like a little boxing kit that comes to you and you can do training. Uh, and then ob- obviously Peloton, but Peloton's had its 
had its ups and downs. Yeah. Just given the, the business model is tough. Like I had a friend of mine that was excited. She got her, she got her bike and all that good stuff, but it was like, they were nickel and diamond her with, you know, the subscription fees. Yep. So I think they'll have to figure that out. But I think the at home fitness stuff, it's probably not going anywhere. I still think there's probably a faction of people that are just, they don't, I mean, I still, I still see the occasional person walking around with a mask on. It just is what it is. And, you know, I don't fault people for having kind of, you never know what people's in, individual like health is like, or, you know, they, maybe they're caring for someone that's immune compromised. You just don't ever know. You don't want to assume. So, but some people just would prefer to work out at home. Yeah. At least until we, I guess, some people's feel, routine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah, yeah whether or not, whether or not they they feel a certain way about uh, catching COVID or going to the gym around people that might have COVID, you're right. Some people just would prefer to just say, "Hey, I'm gonna go into the next room, knock out a workout, and then get back to work." Especially with so many people working from home. Yeah. So yeah, I was one of them. Definitely. Like, I, I, yeah. I didn't really ever work out from home, maybe like eight minute abs type thing, maybe go on the treadmill in the corner. But like, yeah. you know, I was always in the gym or I was always training and I played hockey. So I was on the ice a lot. And then right. COVID hits and I'm, you know, cranking out reps and sets on the bands in my living room. And then I got used yep. to it. And even when gyms opened up, like I was going back to the gym, but I was also hitting some home workouts and some people just, yeah, I mean, yep. trends, trends have changed some people's behaviors uh, permanently and, and COVID sure. is, is a trend, right. In terms of yeah, things. Right. So. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's very cool. I'm very excited to see, you know, what kind of brands you end up working with, uh, you know, where the future of data goes. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge you're, you're seeing now with, with the data platform or, I mean, are, are you, are you just really looking at like trying to work with as many brands as possible or is there, is there another like technological challenge? I would say the biggest challenge is just uh, educating yeah. uh, marketing pros in, in D2C and e-com because I've found people are, are open to learning in that space, which is good. But I also think it's hard to cut through the noise, especially if you reach out cold. And that's one of the reasons why I've tried to focus on doing things like jumping on podcasts and, and try to be more active on Twitter and LinkedIn because I think if you reach out to people cold, it, I think it's very easy for them to misconstrue us with an attribution tool. Yeah. I would say that's the, been the biggest hurdle and challenge for us over the last three to six months is kind of getting people to understand like, Hey, we're, we don't do, we don't solve the same problem as those guys. And you're going to want to at least hear us out on how this is going to help you moving forward, especially if you're continuing to struggle with your Facebook ads mm -hmm. and the ROI that you're seeing there. Yep. I mean, that's, that's really, I would say that's definitely been the biggest hurdle for us. And I also think it's a blessing and a curse, right? So what we're doing is so new that people just don't know about it, which is good. But then, you know, the flip side of that is people don't know about it. So you have to kind of figure out, you know, what's that positioning that you can have, whether it be you as a, on a personal brand, you know, air quotes that, but like, put people find you on LinkedIn or Twitter and like, okay, this guy does X, Y, Z. Okay. I get it. Or it's just a matter of them coming to your website and saying, oh, okay, I, I can understand it. And we, and I also was telling you before we jumped on the recording that 
Our new website should be live. By the time this recording comes out, it should be live. And I think it's going to do a much better job of educating people on like who exactly we help and, and, and why it's beneficial. Right. And uh, it's kind of crazy because I was just thinking about this while you're talking. We haven't, we've gotten this far into the, into the podcast. We haven't even talked about like actual results or case studies that you've gotten for a myriad of different brands. So, um, you know, you've done different things in, with, with different brands and seen a lot of results like dropping cost per click, dropping cost per acquisition, things like that. Can you speak to some of those numbers? Uh, maybe not an average, but just overall, like maybe use cases that have resulted in crazy success. Yeah. So really what we're seeing, and I'll stick with Facebook because I think that's, that's where, like I said before, most of the pain uh, is still on that platform. People are, people are finding ways to be profitable on YouTube and, and Google's ad network a little bit more and even TikTok more uh, consistently than they are on Facebook. So we're, we're really trying to put a lot of our efforts, at least for the, for the foreseeable future mm -hmm. in helping get that right. Now, like I said in, earlier in the call, we, we can help across all ad platforms, but Facebook's where we're seeing the most drastic increases. So the first thing we see within, I'd say 10 days of plugging in the data and the systems into Facebook, we see event match quality scores go I mean, we, we've seen them jump, no kidding, from if you go inside of MS, if, if, if people are not familiar, if you go inside your Facebook ads manager, you can find inside the events manager a score out next to different events. Yep. And no joke, we've seen quality match scores go from 4.4 to 7.4 in a matter of 10 to 14 days. Wow. And all that's saying is basically that's Facebook's metric for saying, you know, it's a scale of 1 to 10. And they give it, I think they give it a poor, good, and great rating. And we are, we can essentially almost double that if it's if it's in the low fours, we can get into the low sevens within, like I said, two weeks or less. And what that tells you is, okay, that's kind of the first domino we like to see. We have like these little metrics and these benchmarks we try to, because we tell people, you know, if you're going to work with us, just give us 90 days, mm -hmm. okay? You know, you, you didn't get into this data problem conundrum of you haven't, you know, this data conundrum you're in has taken you, you know, we're a year and a half removed from it and you're still dealing with it. So it's not an overnight fix, but 90 days, if we can get you 30% or more reduction in your acquisition cost, you think that would be worth it to, to work for this for 90 days, right? And then we, we try to make it very... um no brainer offers for people like guarantees. Like if we don't hit these, if we don't hurt, hit certain metrics, we'll work for free, all that sort of thing. And I would say as far as metrics and case studies, first thing's event match quality score. And that gives you, that's kind of the first indication. Okay. Facebook's acknowledging that the data we're sending back to them is better than what you've been sending before you started working with us. And then what we like to do is build out segments that are relevant to, and this is dependent on the on the company and, and what our goals for them, but we build out specific segments and then we start to sync those segments into Facebook so we can build audiences. And I'd say this is the second thing we see that's very powerful. We've run tests where you basically have a, a split test 
of an audience. Okay. And if you go inside of your audiences inside of Facebook ads, ads manager, you can see where you can see audiences, whatever you name them, you can different parameters. And then you can, and the Facebook will show you the, the size, yeah. the estimated size of that audience, right? Well, we've run split tests where Facebook default versus first party data, what we're doing. And no joke, well, those audience sizes will be two to three X the size of a Facebook default. Wow. So, yeah, so that, that would be the second thing. So it's event match quality scores fixing. And then it takes a little longer to build those audiences because it's the real power is, I think it's 28 days is how long Facebook holds your data, right? Okay, so you get, it takes 21 days or so to sync fully from the CDP to Facebook. Mm. And then once you exceed that 21, 28, 30 day period, that's when you really start to see the power of what we're doing because Facebook dumps your data, but we don't because yeah. you're, you're storing it. Right. And you're just continually feeding it back to Facebook. And then you can you can uh, build those audiences. Like I said, we're, we're seeing two to three X the size of what Facebook can build on its and own. I think Facebook. And that just goes back. The only thing it holds yeah. for the audience is uh, the, the only thing it holds is the audience itself. It doesn't hold the data. So it just holds who's in that audience for I think it's up to a year. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. right. And then and then what we can do is we can we can build let's say you build a, an audience that's off of, let's say add to cart last 30 days or just for an example. Okay. And you run it and it's two to three exercise. Add to cart might not be a good one because add to cart. A lot of times you can get more data because people are inputting data. So maybe a better example would be added to segment inside the CDP. So that would mean they went to a certain page mm -hmm. They did a certain action, but they maybe they didn't. They didn't purchase. Yeah, they okay. just used certain products. Well, right. So what we can do is we build that initial audience two to three exercise of what Facebook could do on its own default, and then you can come back and kind of refresh that audience like every week or so, and say, "Hey, build a lookalike audience off that last one," mm -hmm. and then you can just continue to do that to keep it fresh. Uh, depending on because you can you can base it off of depending on what the conversion event is. You may want to store, you may want to say, hey, give me all the people that added a segment over the last 90 days. Depending on your business model, it could make sense for that to be 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, whatever. Sure. Longer sales cycle. But the, what, what, once again, it just goes back to the point of like, we're giving you the, the power and the flexibility to kind of determine, okay, how do we want to structure our ads? How do we want to structure our retargeting ads, our retargeting audiences and all that good stuff? Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Um, when we're talking about, you know, different ways in which it seems like these brands, the brands that are listening, brands that are getting educated on this stuff, they have to invest in the right tools. Like, like you said, you can have an attribution tool. You can have an audience tool like this. Um, what is something that they should not be spending their money on <laughs> in terms of this ecosystem of data? Like, is there something that people just commonly see that's like, what are you doing? I would say be careful of intent data. What's intent data? Um, so intent data is just, it's showing the intent of a consumer based on their web activity. Okay. Um, there are some, there are, there are companies that are better at it than others, but by and large, I th intent was, is kind of a, a big buzzword for 
in the identity resolution marketing data space. And it's basically the, the concept is basically, okay, these people are showing, ex they're exhibiting behavior across the web. Cause you know, I told you we track across 5 billion URLs and we have intent data we can get, and it can be very valuable if someone is lacking uh, conversion data, maybe they're a new company and they don't have much traffic. We can use intent data in some aspects because we have what we do. We what we do is pre-built, so we'll have pre-built in markets based on keywords and URLs that they visit, and we know that they're in the market for sure. a car or uh, plastic surgery or whatever. But I'd say by and large, if you're just do due diligence on anyone that says that claims to have like great intent data. Cause it, I would say we're, we're some of the, not me specifically, but my data partners are really good at intent data cause they've been doing it a while, but I'll give you an example. Uh, Apollo is uh, yeah. the, the targeting tool. So they, they got recently, they got a lot of funding uh, for another round of funding and they released a, a feature like a month ago, I got an email from, from them. And it was talking about intent data. So basically you can go into the platform and you can sort targeting based off of intent data. So an example is say you're an SDR rep for an S for a SaaS company in a specific. So you can go inside Apollo and, and make your search out based off of intent. I don't know where they're getting the intent data is from, but I have some friends of mine that were doing cold outreach and they got okay results. But I think that's just a good example of with anything in marketing, I always tell people like my, one of my favorite quotes is from a guy named uh, Flint McLaughlin, which a lot of people don't know about, which they should. He's um, everybody knows the gurus, the main gurus right in the space. But he 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 is the founder, uh, CEO of a place called Mech Labs. And they just do a phenomenal job of, of testing and and distilling down marketing concepts and and what they find from split tests and stuff like that. So, but he's got a quote that says something like there's no such thing as an expert marketer, only experienced marketers and expert testers. And that's what I would tell people with all of this is like you you constantly stay curious and you're never going to have it figured out. But if you're like me, that's that's enjoyable. I think that's a I think it's a fun thing. You're like, I mean, it can be frustrating. Don't get me wrong, but knowing that you, it never gets boring. Like if you're in this space, it, you have to stay curious and you have to stay on top of things. So when it comes to intent data, I wouldn't say there's no value there. I would just tell I would caution people to be careful, mm -hmm. and and if you can read reviews. And even if if it's it's the first time you're dealing with someone, be like, you know, try to work with them on a maybe a performance basis. Like, okay, we want to test this out, but if we don't get any calls from it, or maybe we pay you on a per call basis or a per conversion basis or something like that, just don't dump a don't dump a bunch of money expecting intent to be some kind of magic bullet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it be it can be beneficial in the right context. But I would just caution people on thinking that's going to like, it's just going to solve all their problems. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Um, all right, Garrett. Well, actually, in, in on, on the topic of you <laughs> um, 
and, and a, you know, someone you look up to, I guess one thing we like to do when we wrap up our show is uh, ask our signature questions. So I'll, I'll get to that and we can get begin to wrap up. So the question is, if you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning to help guide you, who would that person or persons be? Uh, they can be dead or alive. So I, I love this question. I was looking at the, the outline you kind of gave me before our call. So I was just kind of reviewing it. And I saw that question at the end and I thought, that's really cool. And I had to force myself to keep the list short. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I, I love, I love to read, but what I, I, and I like frameworks. So the best way I know to, to answer that question would be, uh, Ty Lopez talks a lot about the, the four pillars of the good life, yeah. health, wealth, love, and happiness. Right. So I thought about, okay, well, if I could pick somebody from each of those categories, that would be a pretty good group. So I would say for me, my first one is, is going to be Jesus. Uh, I'm a believer. And I think uh, whether or not you believe in Christianity or not, it's hard to read the teachings of, of Christ and not see the value. I think we could, we could all use this world could use a lot more forgiveness and love in it. So I would say that for first would be for sure. Uh, second, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, I'm fascinated by his meditations, uh, Daily Stoic. I, I love that book. I've, I've had it for years. I read it every morning. And I think it's fascinating that Marcus Aurelius was essentially the most powerful man in the world and could have done anything he wanted, but he made a conservative, concerted effort to be a good person and and do right by his uh the, the people of of Rome and his family and and his friends, his army, all that. Like he just he had every excuse to be a selfish tyrant like most in history have become. And I just think the fact that we get to read through his like if people aren't familiar with the meditations, it's basically like his personal diary was never meant to be consumed by anyone but himself but we have it thousands of years later. Now we can, we can learn from somebody that, so I, I really, I, I like him. Uh, I think his life is, is pretty interesting given all the things I just mentioned. Uh, and then when it comes to health, like I said, I'm in, I'm in fitness, So I had to think about this one. I thought about Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I think if I had to pick one person, I would pick a guy named Mike O'Hearn. I know that name. And I think Mike, He's, I think he's like 52. If you look this guy up, it's just, a, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I've been following him for probably 10 years and the guy's just, just consistent, man. And he looks, he's 52 and he looks like, he looks better than most 25 year olds. <laughs> and he's just, he's just the nicest guy. Uh, it, you just, you can tell he cares about people. He likes helping folks get healthy and he, and he walks the, he walks the walk and he's been doing it for years. So Michael Hearn. And then uh, if I got to keep it at four, I, I think I'd say Jordan Peterson. Hmm. Uh, I, I just, he, he gets a bad rap online because unfortunately the world we live in is really easy for people to take sound bites and, and snip them in a way that is misrepresenting 
of the whole point of whatever the person was saying, which drives me nuts about the internet because you get people all up in arms and they took a 10 second clip of an hour long discussion. And they're like, you don't have context. They're like, he said, what Mm. she said, what? And then unless someone does their due diligence and says, goes and finds the whole interview, they're like, Oh, okay. So I think Jordan Peterson gets a bad rap, but I would encourage anyone to, to read his books, um, 12 rules for life. And then the second one is uh, beyond order. So it, it's a, they, they feed into each other, but they're, they're, they're good enough standalones on their own. Uh, but I think, I think Jordan Peterson is, uh, is a, I actually went to one of his lectures and he's just, uh, I think he's got a good heart. He cares about people and I think he's doing good work. It's awesome. Yeah. And I would love to have it. You know, if, if I had those four that I could speak to on a regular basis, I think that would, it would definitely help me live a better life. Uh, whether that be personal or spiritual or even in business, yeah. like I think, of, and in health, obviously, well you know, for Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's a good, good way of looking at it. Uh, cool. So where can people that are listening, you know, find out more from you? I know for digital growth labs, just go to digitalgrowthlabs.com. Like he said, should be a new site up soon by the time this is out. Um, but where can people yep. subscribe to Garrett Gray? So LinkedIn and Twitter is where I'm, I'm trying to focus a lot of my efforts these days. Uh, admittedly, I do better. Um, I'm trying to get better with, with, uh, video content. So I do have a YouTube channel, but there's not a lot of content there, but I do, it's on the to-do, right? Um, but I'd say for the most part, Twitter and LinkedIn are, are, are where I'm uh, the most active. Cool. And is, uh, do you, for Twitter, do you have like a specific handle? That's just, yeah, I think it's, common, um, so. <laughs> let me look real quick. I don't want to tell you wrong. It is. My handle on Twitter is Garrett DGL. So it's at Garrett DGL. Nice. Super easy to remember. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for for the past hour and change. I mean, this is really helpful. I'm super excited to hear what people say and, and you know, see what happens in the future of digital growth labs and overall the future of, of data, marketing ecosystem, all this all this stuff that's rapidly, rapidly changing. Um, it's it's yep. pretty awesome to to connect with people like yourself who have pretty good, pretty good tabs on it and solutions for it. So, um, super thankful and uh, and yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Alex. I enjoyed it. Awesome. All right. Well, for everyone listening, uh, thanks you. Thank you for listening and check us out at GoRocketCart.com for more episodes and uh, you yeah, know, come reach out and talk to us. Thank you so much.